does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. This is Trackside with Kurt Cavan and Kevin Lee on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Ray Hall's easily going to lead him down to third number one, but they're going to try to go four wide for second. Devlin Francesco just went around the outside. He may take the race lead. The young Canadian just passed four or five cars into turns one and two, and that purple and blue car has the race lead. We have a spin in turn number seven. Scott Dixon, Joseph Newgarden. We've gone full course caution. Marcus Armstrong also involved in this, and David Malukas. So a big crash taking out one of our championship contenders, or at least marring any opportunity of a good finish today. Again, caution here at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Front two starting to get some separation as they hit back to turn one. But no separation between those front two. Graham Rahal pops to the inside. He's going to take over the race lead, and right behind him, Alexander Rossi's going to dispose of his teammate, Pato Award. So a change for the lead. Graham Rahal out of turn number three. So a stop for Graham Rahal and his crew. He has just now reached the midway point of pit row. And here comes Scott Dixon. He's coming to turn number one, well ahead of Graham Rahal, Nick Yeoman. Oh, it is well ahead. Scott Dixon on the brakes through turn number one. He'll accelerate out of the corner, followed by a couple lap cars of Augustine Canapino and Joseph Newgarden. And now Graham Rahal gets onto the racetrack. Mark, he's got a monster, monster gap. Graham Rahal tries to find room. Three car lengths behind Dixon. Closes it to a car length and a half through turn number 12. Scott Dixon, Mark, has great. Graham Rahal right on his rear wing. And in turn number 13, Graham Rahal gets a really good run. He pulls right up underneath the wing off the final turn. Here they come to the main straightaway. The advanced auto parts switch checkered flag is in the air. And Scott Dixon will not be denied. He keeps the streak intact. 19 consecutive years with at least one win. He goes to victory lane, wins the Gallagher Grand Prix. Graham Rahal finishes second, Pato Award third. It was definitely just a crazy race. You know, I think uh, we had a fantastic start. I think I gained, you know, maybe eight spots, uh, got up uh, ahead of the 27, and then just got hit in the melee uh, that was kind of in turn seven and unfortunately got spun around. So a bit bummed about that. But I knew uh, with the caution and where I came that we'd have a chance. We, we talked about pitting on lap four anyway to see if we could do it. The only unknown was kind of how the tyres were going to last. But, uh, you know, superb job done there by Graham. Uh, can't thank Honda enough. You know, the fuel mileage that we'd be able to get was fantastic. And obviously everybody at PNC so uh, yeah it's been it's been a trying season so far yeah it's definitely difficult just in the fact that you're trying to push but probably the hardest part was the, the lap cars you know trying to get them in a spot that you needed to was, was very tough but uh, everybody played ball fairly well you know some were a little harder than the others but uh, I get they're trying to stay on the lead lap but um, just can't thank this team enough one for the strategy and, and you know for never giving up this year from the Gallagher Grand Prix this past weekend at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Brickyard weekend has come and gone. And, oh, is there much to talk about on the program tonight? We miss the daily shows. It's a good thing we were on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday uh, last week or we'd have no chance of covering everything tonight with a race to complete and uh, wrap up with Scott Dixon 
uh, becoming the Iron Man and then also winning in a 19th consecutive season. Alex Pillow essentially wrapping up the championship. He mostly just needs to appear at the final three races this season, and he is all good. We'll get into all of that tonight on the program. I'm Kevin Lee. Kurt Cavan is with us as always. Eddie Garrison is in our Indianapolis studios. You're welcome to join in with questions, comments, thoughts, opinions at Kevin Lee 23 at Kurt Cavan with the Xbox, formerly known as Twitter. Um, we'll get to the race, but I also think most of the people listening to this program probably watched the race. So what sometimes is more interesting is just to hear differing opinions on why things are happening off the track and neither of us drove race cars. So yes, we have some opinions on why things happen on the track, but the speculation is always fun. So let's just do news of the day and kind of reverse to get to all the silly season stuff, because we're hearing all kinds of wild possibilities and combinations. And now for the second time in season, silly season for 24 got started in 23. Today we learned that Jack Harvey would not finish the season. Connor Daly is back. And now there were two teams that he's not driven for. Chip Ganassi Racing and Team Penske. He will be in the number 30 Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan card, Worldwide Technology Raceway in St. Louis coming up in a week and a half. We're going to need a scorecard for Connor. Like who, but when? It's easy. It, it's just, there's. it's easier <laughs> to count who not. And that's it. That's the list. Penske Ganassi. Yeah, it's um it's pretty funny in that respect. I know that Connor would like to have a full-time ride. I know Jack would like to still be with Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan, but you know, there are yeah, well, we've talked about it and we've kind of been, you know, expecting this very scenario. Maybe not Connor with uh that ride at at St. Louis, but you know, we've been talking about some first of all, somebody using Connor you know, in a, in a part-time role at a track where he's very good at. So worldwide technology raceway, he has continued to show well qualifying and in the race. So more so in qualifying really, but he has raced well as well. And he's been very good on the short track. So we, we expected that Connor would be in the field next weekend, but we just hadn't uh, quite pegged which car we kind of thought it might be a different car, a Meyer shank car, perhaps. Uh, but Ray Hall Letterman comes calling again, no surprise. We've been talking about Jack Harvey and how long uh, his season or his time with the team would go. You know, I, I said a, a couple weeks ago and you've said it, it we, you know, it looked like maybe we wouldn't have been surprised if they pulled him for Portland and Laguna Seca to end the season but part of us also was was thinking maybe the sponsorship was tied to him and he would finish the season. So we just had doubts about, you know, how long uh, this relationship would continue. But we both thought that by the end of 2023, Jack Harvey would be out. And that just happened sooner than, than maybe some expected. I kind of expected him to be in the car this week, next weekend, honestly. Uh, but I understand, you know, the need. They're right on kind of that bubble of of entrant points relative to, to uh, guaranteed money that comes with the top, usually top 22 in points for the next season. So, you know, we refer to that as the leader circle program. So if they think Connor can do a better job for, you know, the number 30 car, I, I can understand that as well. So I've gone both ways on this one. Uh, let's face it. When, they took Hy-V off of his car in the offseason. 
we knew that there was going to be the possibility of something like this happening. When you are representing high V, uh, there is going to be a big marketing effort. So that driver needs to be locked in at least through Iowa. Uh, and also even last year, I think there was a potential scenario where they might have made a change if the driver they wanted would have been available. And I don't think that driver became available and that helped. And I, I don't know for certain that they were going to pull the plug, but I believe there were probably some thoughts to that. And I think they also knew it and still know it wasn't all Jack Harvey's fault. Um, the team has struggled in general, but what probably sealed the deal here recently is the other two drivers have started to find some success, not every week, but several weeks, and Jack still hasn't found it. Um, his best qualifying in the two years, so he was ninth in the Indy Grand Prix last year. His best finish was 10th, and he did qualify sixth uh, in one of the laps at Iowa in the Oval, seventh in the other one. And then this year, it was the fourth in the Indy Grand Prix, but that did not convert at all in the race. And then the eight this past weekend, those are the two best. The other one is 11. Those are the only time that he's advanced and his best finishes this season, 13th. So in almost two years, best finish of 10th. That's unfortunately not just not going to work. I, I, I feared uh, that he would not finish the season. And I felt by the time we got past the 500 that it would probably happen. My best guess was Indy. And then Linus Lundquist became unavailable because that's where I thought that was headed. So if you'd have asked me last week, just like you just said, I thought he would be in the car this week. And I thought he might finish the season because I'm not sure Lundquist is going to be available anymore. But I, I think your point is correct, that the leader circle is massively important. And Connor may give them a better chance. That's a tough task, though, to drive a new car. I know Connor's good at that that place in short ovals, but that is a tough task to jump in a new car. Now, he's done it before. He did it with Carlin, car he wasn't very familiar with. He's done it with everyone. So that does make some sense from that standpoint. And they are two points out of the final spot. That keeps fluctuating. And if you want to look at entrant points to follow that, and I think you're seeing teams make decisions right now based on that. And the number 60 is is also very much in play. And Linus Lundquist got them back into the leader circle. So having Linus Lundquist in the car, Simon Pagino very well might have done the same thing, but scoring a 12th place result has gotten them back in for the moment. I'm trying to pull that up in front of me on my points, but I believe the, yeah, the 30 is 24th, two points behind the 60, three points behind the 78. And the reason why we say 23rd is the cutoff is because the 11 is not eligible. Three entries per team, unless you're grandfathered in, because Andretti has had a fourth for a long time. And also of note in that regard, the 29 had been right on the cut. And even though it led laps for the first time and qualified fifth, they actually went backwards. So now the 29 is 25th, one point behind the 30. So all of those are kind of jockeying for the final two positions. Um, okay. I hope Connor gets a chance to be evaluated, and then I'll, I'll tell you some other names in a moment too. Well, let me point out that in some respects, while we have 
working knowledge and history and and people talking about it enough that we believe this is the case. We're not privy to the leaders. That is correct. Standing because it, it, this is like Fight Club. Um, IndyCar doesn't want it talked about, but the owners are talking about it. It's in published reports. So even though I am a partner with the series, I feel as a journalist, it is my obligation to kind of tell you what I think I know. And my sources are the owners. And these are the numbers that they're looking at, that we want to be in the top 22 and really the top 23. So you as a series employee cannot confirm that. I can't confirm it, but I can just tell you what I think. Well, and 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 where I want to take that a step further, while I believe... And I haven't seen one way or the other. Even when I worked there, it wasn't discussed. I mean, I work on the Speedway side more than I do the IndyCar side. And I still, when I was there, was never privy to a cut and dry, this is where we stand. I believe there have been years when the number was different than 22, whether it was 24. So it may be, you know, the line may change. That's my point. We all think we know. We all think we know, but we don't know. That's yeah. that's where I was going to head with that. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point on that. Um, and to IndyCar's side, I think the answer would be this is a contract between the, the teams and the series. So they always reserve the right to keep that private, although this is a public entertainment aspect. Yeah. So I think a lot of us would say, you know, we're kind of missing a storyline. Our championship is over. Uh, And a lot of people are interested. You know, one of the great dramas a few years ago is when Bourdais was trying to keep was was he with Foyt at the time uh, in the leader's circle and Marco Andretti was trying to keep Andretti in the leader's circle. That was that was St. Pete. So that would have been 2020 in the season finale race. Uh, I think a lot of us think that this is drama. It's not accentuating the losers. These aren't losers. Everybody's good. Everybody's good. And that's the challenge that, you know, the teams that are struggling, they are getting better. But so is Penske and Ganassi and McLaren and Ray Hall and, you know, Andretti and everybody else. Uh, But, yeah, that's one of the the focuses there. So already testing this year. So my first thought is if Linus Lundquist – oh, by the way, this tells me that Linus Lundquist is probably in the car or he's already been signed by someone – uh, I was told on Friday that Meyer Shanks 60 was not going to be an option for Connor because if that seat, if Simon isn't ready, they're going to want to take a look at Lundquist on the short oval there. So that's probably the case unless it's possible that he's signed somewhere else. I don't think he has. So I asked Linus about this on Thursday and he said, my phone was ringing a lot. But I told everyone, hang off until Monday, which was yesterday. He said, I want to focus on this week at hand. This is week number two for me, so I'm going to do this, and then we'll start talking about options. And he did well again, so I I think his um, stock continues to rise a little bit. Uh, I don't know what Simon's status is. It, It... seems like there's a decent possibility that he's going to sit for a little while and we might see Linus the rest of the season unless Meyer Shank knows he's headed elsewhere. If I'm Meyer Shank at this point, um, have no idea how a contract like this would work. Would they, it's probably race to race, but would they have signed him to something that says we have the option on you for the rest of the season? And they might've even tried 
to sign him to something that says we have the option on you for next season. But it's also been stated, Nathan Brown first reported this from the Indianapolis Star, that he was using some of the scholarship money. So if you had to bring budgets, to me, that takes away that. If they're giving you the ride, that's kind of how those kind of things happen. That if we're going to give you this, then and we're going to develop you, we want the rights to you long term. But if he had to pay something for it, then I think he was probably able to, if he wanted to, stand his ground and say, no, I'm going to leave my options open. And I believe John Caponegro is his manager. He was last summer. I've not asked Linus that this year, but he had just, and for those, he's a very big name uh, manager. It's been around the sport for many, many years. And I'm going to guess he's getting, if he's still with him, pretty good counsel at, at this point. But the original point is if, He's not open to staying there. Then Meyer Shank might want to try someone else uh, because then it either becomes Simon or someone else, or maybe they would decide that no, as long as Simon is going to be healthy, which by the way, with the brain, we have no idea. Kurt Busch still isn't cleared to race at this point. So you just don't know where this stands. Oh, but the other names, uh, the people that have tested in their car, Toby Sowery, who's done a few races this year in Indy Next, and has bounced around for a couple of years, didn't have the budget for the full season, but found some some budget to do a test. And I don't know how that went. I He said it went good. Um, and then also, Yuri Vips was a fill-in when Jack Harvey had a hard hit at Texas. And remember, right after the Texas race, Yuri Vips, who is a Formula E driver. Let me look up his credentials. And I've seen him. I've had to ask who that is a couple of times, but I've seen him in their tent a lot this season. Marshall Pruitt at Racer reported that he's hearing they will be in the car. I don't know that, but it does make some sense that they certainly would be a couple of options. So back to John Caponegro for a minute. Long, yeah. long, long time with the Andretti's. Uh, that's his uh, his real claim to fame. Uh, certainly played an influential role in uh in helping to lead lead uh cart back in the day uh so he he goes way back with the sport and obviously is very well connected and if i'm linus i'm very comfortable with with john and he's represented other drivers as well uh so that's that's that and and i think you're right i think it if if linus wasn't in play long term with meyer shank racing and by the way these days long term is like the rest of the season and maybe the rights to 2024 because <laughs> we have uh we have shuts a short uh job security leash uh for guys um teams and drivers for that matter but uh if if he wasn't in play for them i think you know i think i think we'd be seeing other signs so i i feel like there's a really good chance that uh, this is his one of his best options for 24 and in fact maybe leaning that direction if it's up to him and the other Linus yes I think other people are going to be knocking on his door well, I, I, I was just going to say and I think <laughs> yeah. and I think he's going to have options that's that's where I'm headed yeah um Yuri Vips has won I put this down in my notes early in the season so I've not updated these in a while but he has three F2 wins he was Very a teammate good. to Marcus Armstrong, so that's that same kind of camp. They've uh, we we've seen success with the Calamilots and the Marcus Armstrong. So the entire world, we're all copycats. So we say, hey, they could do it. 
maybe this other guy can do it here. And I believe he's a BMW Formula E driver. So that's another connection. And that's what can kind of be said why he's in their tent all the time, that there's a BMW connection. No, he's not here lurking to take somebody's job. He's just a guest. Wanted to see what, what IndyCar was about. So we shall see. Uh, so that's part one. I f- feel awful for Jack Harvey. And I, you know, I think the quotes from Bobby Rahal and from Jack today were honest and were accurate for some reason. It just did not work. He was he was going good at Meyer Shank Racing. And it doesn't always apply. You know, this is the advantage that junior formula drivers have over IndyCar drivers. As the manager of my junior formula driver, I can put him in a car pretty easily. That doesn't happen very often in IndyCar, where an established veteran gets to feel someone's car and spend a day in the car with the team and say, well, I don't like the way your car feels. And I don't like the way you guys operate. You can find out some things about how they operate. But generally speaking, you've got to commit before you have driven the car. In Junior Formula, all the way up through Indy Next, almost no one commits until they have driven the car at least for a full day. And sometimes it's three or four days. So that's tough. And it doesn't always work out uh, for everyone. I think the question could be asked, because we debated this at the time, Jack Harvey was gambling on himself. Yes, when he, he decided to leave Meyer Shank Racing, and if those that are new to IndyCar don't remember the story, um, Jim Meyer is the person that kind of got him going. And there was a, a connection with the Kennedy family, who Kennedy Tank, uh, and, and has had a long relationship with Indianapolis Motor Speedway, and they had befriended Jack, and he's, I'm looking for help. This is after, you know, he had finished second in the Indy Lights Championship twice and just didn't have the budget to get there. And they said, well, you need to meet this guy. And he thought, okay, I'll go ahead and go to breakfast and meet him. You know, most of these turn out to be nothing. And it turned out to be the CEO of Sirius XM, who loved the Indy 500. And that's how that started with Jim Meyer. Jim enjoyed it. It was a one-off. And then eventually he buys into the team. So, you know, some would say he was a made man there with that team and you leave and you are now a hired driver, then you have to produce. So it was a risk. Now, the other side of this might be, even if you were Jim Meyer's guy and the team loved you and that's, you know, they all grew together, it could be argued that unless Jack Harvey was just the perfect fit for Meyer Shank, and they would have been going awesome the last two years because it's not gone awesome. It's gone horribly outside of the Indianapolis 500, and that's a big outside. Um, no, that actually, actually was while Jack was still there. Yeah, that was 21. So in the two years that he has been gone, it has gone very poorly almost every weekend for two um, – Legends in the sport in some yeah. ways. Simon Pagano and Elio Castroneves. I would say two champions. Elio's not a champion, but he's all but a champion. He's won the 500 four times, and he finished second, I believe, 16 times. No, not 16, but a lot. Three or four times in IndyCar. Um, maybe it would have gone great with Jack Harvey there, but it probably goes deeper than that. So the argument could be made, even if he would have stayed there, there might have become a point probably by the end of this year, where they all would have had to say, I'm sorry, it's not working. We can't change everyone, so we're going to have to change the driver. 
So I, I don't feel like he should look back and say, I threw it all away. No, I don't think so. And and I think if you were to go back and look at, you know, 2020, 2021, you know, you wouldn't have, they, Ray Hall Letterman was in better shape than it's been, you know, here lately, minus Christian Lundgaard. Um, we, I remember, we didn't think it was a bad move. We just thought it was a little risky given his relationship with the team, how they had grown together and how Jim Meyer really had taken to him and would have been very much in his camp. And I don't think there's any question that over last year and this year, Jack Harvey would still be a Meyer shank racing driver. I don't think, I don't think there's anything to suggest that he would not have been with them the last two years. Had he, had he chosen to stay, you know, they weren't going to get rid of him mid season last year. They wouldn't have got rid of him at the end of the year. He would have run this year the question really is, would he be in the same position right now as he is with Ray Hall Letterman? And, you know, that's, you know, so the bottom line is I don't think, I don't think it was too much of a risk. Um, I think it was the right decision for him at the time, although we did, you know, question it, not question it. We did raise the same issues that we're discussing right here. Um yeah, you just have to produce. You're you now, just you have to produce. Hire, when you when you get hired, it's much easier to fire you. If you bring the budget, it's harder to get rid of you because then it's oh, we got a. It's easy to replace drivers. It is harder to replace budget. Now, some would say, well, wait a minute, you can still get uh, bounced even if you bring the budget. We've got a couple of yeah. examples of that over the last few years, and there, you know, there's some semantics on who brought the budget in that regard, but it it does happen. Um, I know some would say, well, could he go back to Meyer Shank? I have not specifically asked anyone that. I believe I read in Marshall Pruitt's mailbag that he must have asked. I haven't asked Michael, and I think he'd probably tell me. Maybe it would be off the record. Um, but I, I know Marshall Pruitt said that's not an option. So he probably asked and got either an on or an off the record. So I, I trust that to be true. So where he could end up. Does he have a link to budget somewhere? That's the easiest way because it's going to be hard to just get hired because you're always then fighting the next crop of people who have more recent momentum. You know, you're going to be battling Christian Rasmussen, who's likely going to come in with uh, some budget money of about a million dollars, 800,000, whatever it is, um, from the Indy Next Championship. He's not won it yet. It's not locked up, but it's looking pretty decent for him at this point. Uh, you're going to be looking at the other F2 drivers. You know, you're battling Lundquist, Connor Daly, yada, yada, yada. There's always more drivers than seats available. So, And there always seems to be an Indy Lights driver who's like second or third or fourth in points who has made the decision, I've got the budget, why not spend it on a, yeah. on a proving type situation? This year, that's Stingray Rob. He was not the champion last year. Steps into a coin seat. Uh, you know, a month before it happened, we weren't, I don't think we had Stingray particularly high on the probability list that he would land that seat. Um, we thought it was, in, I, it I wasn't top of the mind. A, I didn't think he would be able to get a full-time thing at one exactly. point. I, I thought he could be in play for a part-time, but they were able to put something together um, through Dale Coyne and through uh, Rick Ware Racing to get full-time. But yeah, you're right. Now, next year, it's possible 
that there's only one driver trying to move up. Well, trying is the wrong way. I'm sure there are several trying, but I think those that might be trying might be open to doing another season of Indy Next. Some that potentially could do it. So the ones that can do it, budget-wise, when they're ready to go, Kiffin Simpson. When Kiffin Simpson and his dad say he's going to be an IndyCar, then Chip Ganassi is going to have to find him a seat uh, or hope that there's a long enough term contract to be able to make that stick because he is a major part of their budget. And by the way, when we get to Alex Pillow, it's possible that that is one of the reasons why they found extra budget to be able to keep Alex Pillow. And that might come into play with Marcus Erickson and other people as well. I would think there's a decent chance that Kiffin Simpson is going to want to do another season of Indy Next. He's only 18 years old. He's he's done decently. What I think is, I don't know that this is an awesome class, but I think it's a really good class and a really deep class of you know 15, 16, really all 19 are very competent drivers this year, but he might do another year. I think Nolan Siegel... I don't know this, but I think he has the budget. Um, And the plan was to do two years. But then all of a sudden, he's leading the championship and he's winning races. So the last time I talked to him, he said, we still want to see how the rest of the season goes. We're going to consider it. Um, But he's dropped, I think he's dropped a third in points now. And I would think there's a decent chance that Nolan says, you know what, I'm probably better served to try to be the number one target, come back, win the championship, not just for the scholarship, but just to give myself the best chance to move up. Josh Pearson is already an Ed Carpenter racing development driver, has the budget to move up. I feel pretty certain because I know that's the plan. I've not asked them recently, but the plan was this is at least two years. He, I think, is still 17, so I'm sure he's doing another year. Big question is Hunter McElroy. McElroy is now second in the championship, just one, is done two years now of Indy next, finished third in the championship last year. It's going to be budget dependent, but I'm sure Hunter is trying to move up, but maybe he's open to doing another season of Indy next as well. So round of, and, and Jacob Abel is also up there and Louis Foster up there. I know Jacob is open to doing another season. I suspect Louis is too. He's only 19 years old in that regard. So that's that's kind of where things stand on that front. But uh, Jacob Abel isn't. He has a path. He he isn't going to come in there and take a take a seat that maybe Jack Harvey might get. Is my point. If if Jacob Abel goes, it'll be as an Abel Motorsports car. When wouldn't you think? Possibly, although they might prefer partnering with an established team. They they could yeah do that their could own take thing, a seat, or they they could simply combine with someone else in their efforts. I've not spoken to the team about what that is. It's basically, I don't think they're quite ready yet to, to make that move. Um, Understood. Wouldn't I surprise just... me to see him do the Indy 500 again next year in some circumstance. And I wouldn't rule out Jacob may be doing the Indy 500 already. We're not even done with this season. If we wanted to, we could start talking about how seats are dwindling already for next year's Indy 500. Because... You know, you've already got the extra for Kyle Larson. Um, there's there's not going to be a lot of seats available. And who, who am I forgetting? There's something that is a one-off for Honda. What was just announced? 
so, something came I'm, up that I think we're, we're we're losing engines for Honda. We're already up to like 15 or 16. They're committed of the 17 that they would be open to doing next year. So there's just not a lot of one-off opportunities coming. So there's that. Um, so I hope Jack can come up with something, get an opportunity. Maybe he's, I know he mentioned IndyCar in a statement. So that's going to be the first, you know, and at some point it's, I want to be a professional racing driver. So you start to look in sports cars, but yeah, he's shown he's got it. He's just got to get in the right situation. So just try to get in a seat, just, just try to be available and show what you can do is the best case scenario for him. Um, we're probably going to need some more time to talk about the latest scenarios regarding Alex Pillow and Ganassi and all of that. We'll get into the race and start to go through the box score and celebrate Scott Dixon some more and talk about the championship and plenty more coming up. It's Trackside 93.5-1075, The Fan. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20-milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, Ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Hi, this is Graham Rahal, and you're listening to Trackside on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Trackside continues. Kurt Cabin, Kevin Lee, Eddie Garrison in Indianapolis. Back to our regular Tuesdays. If you missed the opening portion, podcast will be up via 1075thefan.com, uh, Spotify, iTunes, all the usual outlets, SoundCloud. After 9 o'clock Eastern tonight, we're generally Tuesdays from 7 until 9 as we get into the later portion of the year. Sometimes that bounces around, especially when the Pacers start, but we go year-round all but a couple of weekends in December throughout the year. We've got uh, much to talk about. We'll get into the NASCAR event coming up a little later on in the program as well. And and the future, including testing on the Oval the last couple of days. Let's continue just with the, the fascinating stuff. I haven't refreshed Twitter for a little while to see if anyone else assigned Alex Below today or not. But as far as I know, no. So from where we last left this, any different thoughts on how this is all shaking out, playing out, what is still to be determined? What is keeping us from Chip Ganassi Racing announcing that they have an extension with Alex Pillow right now. Well, probably probably not anything keeping us from that. Having said that, I've tried to create every strange, unique, surprising scenario that I could come up with in the event that Alex surprises us again. The craziest one that I came up with was what if he signs with Andretti and that's his leap to Formula One? You know, that that was like, that's a Honda and could he do that? I, I don't think that's the case. Uh-huh. I, I'm just... I've wondered that. I, I don't think it is because I suspect he would not have ended that without... 
but but let's think about Alex's mind. He might have agreed to something, but but we clearly see that he is open to flirting <laughs> with others. So unless it is signed, agreed to terms, I would not feel comfortable with at this point. Racer.com has, if not reported, said, Marshall Pruitt has said, I've been told by several people that he has signed. I don't doubt that. That goes a little against my theory, which is only a theory, that, well, one, he could have signed. That makes the most sense. But I, I said last week, if I'm Chip Ganassi, I'm still okay with this scenario saying we have agreed to terms and and maybe even signed something. Here's where both could be correct because I would want something signed, but what we don't know are the outs. So, so let's just backtrack a little bit. I bet that's right, that he has signed with Ganassi, but could there be an out that gives him another three weeks to continue pursuing Formula One? I highly doubt there would be an out for him to consider going to Andretti. Uh, it's got to be that if you're in IndyCar, but but yeah, that's been thrown out there that you know once you see someone bouncing around, then I'm surprised we didn't hear more about Andretti. Maybe we just didn't hear about it. They are, are clearly on the aggressive about adding talent. You know, I. Well, they, they've not gone like Zach Brown and said, you don't, we don't steal drivers, you lose them, or whatever the case is. You know, they're not openly talking about going after Marcus Erickson, but just logic says that's the option right there for Marcus Erickson. Marcus has not told me about an Andretti offer, but, you know, we're all smart enough to figure out that's the option that, that he has, the best option that is out there. And then they still have another seat open, and they have budget so yeah that would make perfect sense but and i think it makes more sense to get to formula one with them than it does with mclaren with young lando norris and oscar piastri unless the rumors are true that norris uh and and i don't know how solid these rumors are but there's some conversation going around that he may eventually want to leave in in the next next couple of years mario came out in a published report. I can't remember the source and I'll have to look it up maybe during the break and, and cite the source, but said that they would most definitely have uh, an American driver in one seat and an experienced driver in the second seat. If they were to be in formula one in 2025 to me, Mario or Michael Mario said this Mario. Okay. Mario has been more chatty, pretty close. And, and, I'm sure that's right. That makes, we've said that before. It would not make sense to put two rookies in there unless you could get him enough testing. Alex Pillow might be the one you might change your mind on for that. So anyway, that that kind of... And by the way, Colton Herta doesn't have a super license. That's right. Now, I think there would, you know, especially if you have until 25, that would be enough time. (laughs) They just got to figure out somebody to put him in free practice one from now until then enough times to, to get him his license points. Well, that that's what took me away from Alex and Andretti, but given the the drama and the saga that this has been over the last now 13 months, I suppose anything's possible, but I think he's staying with Ganassi. And if, 
if he has an out up until a certain point to go to Formula One with someone other than McLaren, then that very well could be in play, as you said, that both sides are are technically accurate, those both those stories. So I think that's his path. And he could have even, I, I think Chip Ganassi could potentially be open to, hey, we'll give you an out every year in a certain window if that becomes available. Uh, so a friend who has better sources in the Formula One world, you know, with my theory, I shared my theory about is he trying to leave a window for Formula One, he reached out to someone over there and was told, I don't see it. I don't see a path for him this year. There are other names being mentioned for the two or three seats that are going to be open. So Polo may know that and that what might be have led him to, all right, I'm going to be an IndyCar. As he told the media on Thursday, he said, I don't have a Formula One offer yet and I'll see you here in Indianapolis next year. Yep. I guess he could be visiting or whatever, but he may have come to the conclusion last week that I don't have a path there next year. And if I'm going to be here, I'd like to keep winning races and championships. What's that team one now this season? He's won four, four. And Marcus has won one. And Scott Dixon has won one. Six races to zero from the team that he was going to join. And by the, the way, both teams have been competitive at Indy. Let's don't confuse the issue. Errol yep. McLaren and, and Chip Ganassi Racing have been two of the three strongest teams at Indianapolis the last few years. So you would expect both would give you a really good chance. But you know what you have at Ganassi. You know the infrastructure. What will be interesting to me is the legal battle that ensues with McLaren and them seeking damages you know, the amount they've been already invested. I think I think they'll have a case. I think they'll have a, a real case to recoup some money. But if they, you know, and if they paid him an advance toward 2024, as was uh, mentioned by Zach Brown, I think, you know, let's hope uh, Alex has saved some of his money. And then the question still exists, you know, it, what was made public by the Indianapolis Star uh, was – he can't do an IndyCar contract until September 1st. Maybe that was amended after that became public. You know, I don't I don't know. I think McLaren could also argue that, well, we didn't sign him to an IndyCar contract. We signed him to a Formula One development contract. But then that leaves, that's what Pelot was probably arguing. Yeah, right. Um, that, that leaves me the out. And Pelot could potentially also argue, yes, you paid me because I drove your race car. And I came to Miami wearing papaya, representing your program. I do not do that for free. I would have sat at home that weekend. I've been to a Formula One race before. Uh, so he has done something. Now, I'm sure if it's millions, that's probably a bit overpaid for that. But that's going to be a gray area. I was trying to pull up Chip Ganassi's quote because um, that was pointed. <laughs> and I can really see Chip's perspective on that. Basically, you mess with my guy. Uh, I had respect for McLaren back in the day, but I don't share that respect at at this time. You mess with my guy, and he was always my guy, so we've done nothing wrong here. And oh, I, th I, I, I think that's right. Yeah, I think and that's I don't right. See any way McLaren can sue Ganassi, it's all no, about no, no. Pelot. 
to it be is all about, about Pelot. It's all about Pelot. I don't think there's any question about that. The question is how much have they paid him? What commitment did he make to them? Was it verbal? Was it written? Was it for F1 only? Did he have a, a, a lockdown for 2024 IndyCar? All those things. And we just don't know the answer to them. And, but there is some, some real juice in this one. Uh, given all the principles are the same principles and two of which don't really care for each other. So. Yeah. If you're keeping score <laughs> on this, so let's see, you know, maybe it started with uh, Felix Rosenquist leaving Ganassi when they wanted to keep him. Mm-hmm. Um, but apparently the sponsorship wasn't totally firm and they were hoping to have some more time. And all of a sudden, Whoa, he's gone. So that was Part one, um, most of us believe that there were overtures to Scott Dixon, if not during one cycle, maybe even another. They now have NTT data, which Chip Ganassi Racing brought to their team and then is the title sponsor of the series. Yep. And that's now on McLaren cars. Then you've got the Polo saga. Um, he openly flirted with Marcus Erickson in a public setting this year. So we, we got all that. Oh, and Tony Kanaan too. Although I don't, there wasn't, there wasn't room for. No, no. Kanaan, I don't think at Ganassi. Um, but I don't know that. I, I don't know if the Sato thing came together for the extra car first. And if that's something that Honda wanted or, or, or if Kanan made the first move on that. Um, but I, I don't know, so I guess we count that one as well. Now, the other way, Ganassi got a key part in Taylor Kyle leaving, surprisingly, which obviously was not received well, because remember the statement from Errol McLaren basically thanking him for his two years when he had been with the organization for like 15 years. Right, right. You know, so, because it didn't exist uh, before McLaren got there. Also read this week, just moving off on tangents, Marshall Pruitt wrote this. Billy Vincent is leaving at the end of the season. Most of you may not know who Billy... Actually, a lot of you would know Billy Vincent. And I am going to greatly miss Billy Vincent. One, because he's one of the honest people. I have really good sources on the pit boxes that tell me straight up, this is how many laps we can go on fuel. These are the options. Help me to kind of understand what might happen in a race. And Billy is one of those people as well, but we'll all miss him because he's good on the radio. He's good. You know, when we replay some of those communications, he's on Felix Rosenquist radio, but he's one of the team managers and Marshall Rowe. And he, he has been very involved um, with a karting program uh, at Whiteland mostly. And he's been involved with Will Powers karting program. He wants to spend some more time with that and said he's open to maybe doing some one-offs. And then there have been some, some other changes. The one that I knew of that, I heard about a couple of weeks ago, which was disturbing. Jeff Darks, who's been a marketing operations, done everything for Sam Schmidt Racing. I know a lot of people were sad that Jeff was no longer involved. So I would imagine that he'll find work um, if he wants to pretty soon. Yeah, I agree with you. Jeff's uh, Jeff's been good in this sport for a long time, and I think he will continue to flourish. All right, I think we're out of time in this segment, so we'll look ahead to hour number two, and we'll talk about the future of what the Brickyard Weekend will be like, how that impacts with the change we think coming. Has that been announced yet? Um, Sort of has. 
lots of hints in the ticket renewal from IMS. We'll get into that and more coming up. Your tweets are welcome to it. Kevin Lee 23 on the Xbox at Kurt Cavan. It's trackside 93.5-1075, the fan. Hi, this is Joseph Newgarden, and you're listening to Trackside. Okay, a couple of things to... Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Mention in this segment, uh, people are always curious about television ratings, sports TV ratings on Twitter or X says five hundred fifty six thousand for IndyCar on Saturday, one point zero two million for Xfinity. We never did mention uh, last week the ratings for Nashville were really good. Maybe we did. Maybe we didn't. It all kind of runs together. But Nashville was really good. Something like one point one million on USA and I would say for a Saturday afternoon I don't know how the network feels about this and I can't recall how it compares to others on cable but my opinion would be 556 is pretty pretty good for early Saturday afternoon on USA I think there have been some races that have been in the just barely above 300,000 range so that seems solid NBC for the cup race got a 1.672.838 million viewers for Sunday's Race down from a 2.05 and 3.37 million last year. And how about this? Not only do you need to avoid the NFL in the fall, you need to avoid them in August. Adam Stern at Sports Business Journal notes this year's race went up against NFL preseason games while last year's was held in late July and didn't face the NFL. And he's right. I saw some of the numbers for NFL Network games. And plus, you've got local games. And in this case, maybe it's not terrible to be on USA because when you're on network, some of these affiliates have deals with their local NFL team. Uh, NFL teams work out their own deals for preseason games and create some nice revenue out of that. But it might be on the NBC affiliate. And there were five pretty big markets that weren't airing all or some of the race, the cup race on Sunday, because they were airing their preseason game, which was going to get a much better local rating than the cup race would have. So there you go on that. Um, Also this weekend, I had a chance to spend some time with John Bomarito uh, with Worldwide Technology Raceway and the Bomarito Automotive Group. That's applicable because that's where we are headed next. Coming up next weekend, he told me ticket sales are doing well and they're up from last year. Up, uh, I won't give a number. I'll let him do that, but it's going well. So if you want the preferred seat, you might check into that. And I mentioned this a few weeks ago and I checked in with sports uh, entertainment and travel uh, at set experiences on social media i tweeted a few weeks ago maybe i'll try to do it again but they have a link on their twitter or you can just go to the worldwide technology raceway uh, website they have a link for it there they have a package available 
for bus transportation from Indianapolis. So if you just want that taken care of yourself, that's probably the best way to do that there. But they only have a few tickets left. I think it was single digits. So you want to get on that if you want to leave Sunday morning from 16th Street, the uh, their office from IndyCar, 159 bucks for the bus package. That includes, I think, some refreshments and such on the way. And then the option to add on race tickets and a paddock pass. Those are separate. So look into that. At SET Experiences on social media is where just a couple of tweets down. You can get the link for that. Hour number two, we talk about the future of the Brickyard. We get into the IndyCar race, too, coming up. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20-milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta. And check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. On track side. Ty Gibbs, a smooth move into the right-hander there to his turn 12. Now through turn number 13, stands back up on the gas and will exit to turn 14, king of the road here today in Indy. And he was so strong early and now strong very, very late. About to lead lap number 28 on the day. The most important one is the checkered flag is in the air. Congratulations to Ty Gibbs, who's going to go to victory lane at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. He wins the Pennzoil 150 at the Brickyard. Here comes Chase Elliott, just four car lengths behind. Michael McDowell driving for all he's worth here at Indy. Might have to pop the elbows out a little bit off of turn number 14. A strong run for Michael McDowell. Checkered flag is going to fly. He'll cross the yard of bricks. Lead 54 laps of the day, and Michael McDowell will go to victory lane. He will win the Verizon 200 at the Brickyard. Chase Elliott finishes second. Daniel Suarez third. Alex Bowman with uh, Tyler Reddick in fourth, and Alex Bowman completes the top five. Hour number two. Eddie Garrison is in downtown Indianapolis. I'm Kevin Lee, along with Kurt Cavan. Weekend off for IndyCar coming up this weekend. Highlights from a very busy weekend this past weekend uh, of the NASCAR side of things. We did the IndyCar highlights to start with, courtesy of IMS Radio and NBC. Same for IndyCar. Ty Gibbs won the Xfinity race on the road course. And Michael McDowell won the cup race. We'll get back into a lot of things IndyCar and go through the box score for that race. Just a couple of thoughts, including the future of of the Brickyard. So here would be probably all of the analysis I'm going to do on the NASCAR weekend. One, it's it's cool again that Michael McDowell won. He's, a, as he mentioned, talking with Marty on post-race, hey, I'm in the road to Indy Hall of Fame. This is where I thought I was going to end up. Former star Mazda champion who did a couple of cart races or champ car races in like 03, 04, somewhere in that range and just found his opportunity. And just a, from what I gather, uh, a, a really nice guy. So he, here's the story from Sunday. Uh, we had, we, we were helping host some of our guests and also the IU Simon Comprehensive Cancer Center's guests because they were 
they were already being hosted somewhat by Chip Ganassi Racing, but Jackson was there helping them along. And then we had guests with other partners throughout the weekend. And then on Sunday, we only had a few few people there. Most were there on Saturday. So I came back on Sunday and went to the race. And uh, I was taking around a few guests from Hayes and Sons, the restoration company, which, you know, as we've told on this show, I met when my basement flooded. So that turned into a very nice opportunity. We enjoyed the relationship with them. And one of their guests, and, and he said I could call him out on this. So his name is Ken DePeel. So we were actually just kind of stuck going from one suite to another behind the pagoda where they they introduced all the drivers coming through the Brickyard Pagoda and came across the yard of bricks and then walked up behind the pagoda and then went across the stage. We were kind of stopped there trying to get back where we wanted to go and we watched the introductions. And then with that, there were bike racks. You couldn't walk behind the pagoda. So we walked back up, back to behind the stage where the drivers were introduced and then we're going to go across the, the crosswalk to the media center and then down and walk McDowell qualified third. So he's at the back of the area there. And my buddy, Ken, I, I'm walking through and I look and he stopped there. Uh, and I look and he's talking to Michael McDowell and talks with him for a little while and, and then leaves and, and leaves. And I said, do you know who that was? Cause I had to go back and look too. I couldn't really see, And Oh, okay. That's Michael McDowell. And he says, well, no, but I asked him his name. I, I uh, Ken had never really been to a race before, didn't know anything and asked Michael if he was any good. And Michael said, yeah, I'm okay. And chatted for a minute. And Michael says, do you want a picture? Cause most, most people do. And my buddy Ken says, no, I just want to say hi and walks off. And then he gets to us. And I said, you know, that guy won the Daytona 500 two years ago. Said, oh, and then, so we watched the rest of the race making fun of Ken who just missed a chance for a photo op with the guy who was, dominating and going to win this race. So that all worked out well and provided for a better story. So we took a picture of Ken after the race with Michael being introduced in victory lane. So that was his photo then with uh, Michael McDowell for the day. Well, oh, so he, on the he actually got a real photo. Well, it's of him with a TV screen. Yeah. Okay. That's what I thought. No, you were I, going. I said, I said, we're not going to be able to go back and get him now. He's going to be much harder to get to than he was about three and a half hours ago. Actually, it was, that's the fastest NASCAR race ever Had one caution. Um, early. Yeah. You know, they took away the cautions for the stage breaks because that takes away the opportunity to really do something unique strategy wise. And, and I agree with that, but in this case, it, it took away chances to, you know, bunch them back up and restart. That said, it was still good competition because you had some different strategies that, you know, you didn't know if McDowell was easily going to make it on fuel and had there been a great white checker, there would have been a problem. So I thought the races both, both days from the NASCAR side were entertaining enough. They were good. Crowd seemed to be a little bit up on Sunday from last year. Yet, this certainly appears like this is going to be the last time for a little while. We've been hearing for a while uh, that it was going back to the Oval, and it made a lot of sense for that to happen. And then the IMS social media tweet, something along the lines of come back around for the Brickyard next year, next year. And then someone noticed that there's an image of an oval in the background. So NASCAR has probably not allowed them to make the announcement at this point because they want to do it all together potentially. But we 
had some laps on the track yesterday and you were out there today, it was, it, it drizzled for a little while late afternoon, but it was, it was dry all day today. Right. So they would have yeah, gotten a were, lot of laps in today. They were on the track. I got there about eight twenty, and they were already rolling. So they were, mm. they were, uh, in high gear most of the day. And you're right. I saw the same social media post and, and chuckled to myself. I mean, obviously, you know, I didn't the, notice the first time somebody else caught it. <laughs> well, I, I hadn't, I hadn't been prepped. I just saw it and I kind of laughed to myself because I, I, you know, I saw the elements you tend to, when you're into design uh, conversations yeah. as I am on, on many levels that uh, you see some of those kind of things. I, I wasn't involved with this in any stretch, but uh, it was still fun to see. And I, I thought it was very clever. Um, people picked up on it and, you know, it, it does appear that, that it'll be an oval race at some point. I think all signs point to next year. I think it's going to be fun to kind of revisit 30 years later. I was thinking we had a staff meeting today and I was looking around in the, you know, 30 some people that were in this meeting and how many were at the 94 Brickyard 400. And then I was thinking how many of them were actually born? <laughs> <laughs> for yeah. the uh, yeah. 94 Brickyard 400, let alone working in the sport. I think I'd already covered like eight Indy 500s by that point. But uh, anyway, that that makes you feel old. But um, it'll be nice to – it will be nice to go back to the Oval. I have not been shy about my appreciation for oval racing uh, as opposed to the road course. I thought it was fun to try the road course and see how it went. And we've had some really interesting moments, good moments. I really like the fact they didn't throw that caution at the end of uh, stage two. You know, somebody was maybe it was Chase Elliott. Somebody was charging, and I thought, you know, in the past they would have they throw a caution there, and that momentum that he had coming down the front straightaway would be basically be for nothing uh, because they'd caution it and then you know regroup back up, and so that pass that pass wasn't for the lead; it was probably for for third, but it was still fun you know, to kind of let that go as a more of a, more of a purist. Uh, I've never really liked the, the stoppage at the stage. I don't mind the stage. And I think, you know, collecting points at increments during the race is a good way to do things. Actually, it, it forces you to, to get up on the wheel, maybe a little bit more and pick up an extra position or take a strategy to get some points if you're in need of points. So I don't, I've never had a problem with that element of it. I just didn't like throwing the caution between the two, between the three stages, the two breaks that they had. So I like the caution from this standpoint. From TV. Then, well, yeah, because <laughs> I get less hate tweets about missing the action because, you know, I'm in charge of when we do commercials. Sure. Even on the NASCAR broadcast, so I'm in charge of, of that. So just from a, a TV show standpoint, that is one of the biggest pluses of that. And then, as you said, the other is, Hey, these races, NASCAR races are really long. So if we can give someone a reason to watch the first third and the second third and make them a little more exciting and, and, you know, in some ways too, a driver who crashes at Daytona in the big one with four laps to go and finishes 35th, the day is not totally lost. If you sure. finish in the top three in the first two stages, that's a different debate. We'll let other people, think about that um i have mixed thoughts on what i would like what i think should be done is what they're going to do bring it back to the oval but what i like more is the road course race the the oval race has not been very entertaining i am hoping 
that the new car helps that and that Goodyear can create a tire and they can get creative from what they learned today to make the racing go well. Because there were times where the racing was pretty good, but really what this race has been about is about where it's at. And I get that, and that's what that has over the, the road course. It's still the Indianapolis Motor Speedway and special on the road course, but it is more special when it is the same track that Ray Haroon won on, and that's why many of the NASCAR drivers, not the one who won this year, but most of them say, yeah, uh, I, I, I'd like to do the Oval. And I'm, I'm sure many of them don't want to go through their career and not have run. I think Chase Briscoe was one of those that was testing the yes, last couple of yes, days. And yes. I think I saw a tweet from Chase, you know, who grew up. He's he's a fan. And it was special to him because this would have been the first time, I believe, that he's turned a lap on anything. Xfinity Cup on the Oval, I think. Yeah, maybe he might have done something in Xfinity a few years ago, but he certainly had not in a cup car. Uh, so from a show standpoint, the road course is better, but we're also getting to the point, you know, a few years ago, that was the hot new thing. And now they've got six or seven road courses a year and, you know, potentially looking to add more. I get it. I, I get it. There's a perfectly good oval track here, and that will add some history and some symmetry with a 30th anniversary. Uh, in a perfect world, and this will include IndyCar as well, in a perfect world, if I'm not the one responsible for paying for it and doing it, I wish there was a way to do Xfinity and IndyCar on the road course and then Cup. Um, so I know I and others have said, yeah, we're a little bit annoyed that it at the track that is owned by IndyCar, that you feel like a visitor, that you're off in the parking lot. Um, but that's because this was the cup weekend. And this happened out of a request that IndyCar during the pandemic needed dates and asked NASCAR, can we join you? So in that case, Sure, you're going to be the opening act, and this is where you're going to be. It's NASCAR has essentially rented the track for the weekend, and I get that, and that still applies. It's still NASCAR's date. Now, you could say, well, IndyCar needs to renegotiate, or IMS needs to renegotiate to get more benefit for IndyCar. It's their track. It's their garages. They should be second, at least on Saturday, and have Xfinity be the opening act. And you can ask those things. But here's the problem. If NASCAR says no, you have to just say, okay, <laughs> because you need their television money. That that event brings in, I don't know what the latest number is, but somebody reported it a few years ago, it being between 15 and $20 million going to the track. That's not pure profit because there's still a purse to pay and sanctioning fee, but it's several million dollars that goes to IMLs and helps fund IndyCar and other things as well. So IMS needs the brickyard. So you're you're kind of at NASCAR's wishes there, and I don't think they're going to let you run. Maybe you can ask. Maybe you can run after Xfinity, but probably not going to happen. That said, I I still so I ended the weekend thinking, well, that's going to be sad next year when May is the only time we see IndyCar at IMS because I do enjoy coming back in the summertime and celebrating the Indy 500 winner and just spending more time there. Now we'll have time to spend there because there will be a brickyard. And I think that may help the IMSA race. Maybe that's what comes out of this because next year, the IMSA race is a six hour race. 
So you are going to have three, four, five, six, ten IndyCar drivers as the third driver for some teams. Ten is on the high side because some teams will still elect to go with two drivers, but some will add a third, and you hope that you get some IndyCar people in there, and it's still road course racing. It's still sort of like IndyCar road racing, so I, I think that helps. Um, but as much as roundabout way, as much as I sometimes get annoyed, I still liked the weekend. And I think there is benefit for just hopefully introducing the sport to someone new. I, I think it's been great to have both, both uh, types of cars, IndyCar and NASCAR. And I think there's been a real learning experience for, you know, even just the broadcasters. I mean, I, I had an extensive chat with Jeff Burton the other day and talking about the things he's learned from, from watching IndyCars and, and Dale Jarrett and Dale Jr. are both much more fluent than they ever were before. Obviously, Steve Letard has spent time on both uh, Indy 500 weekend and, and NASCAR weekends here. So, you know, there is a – and you feel it. You know I mean? They're just, there's still a, a real good give and take and appreciation and respect within the two paddocks. Fan bases, that may be another story. I think what Doug Bowles said the other day, and I think this is accurate – well, kind of have to let the fans speak. What do the fans here want? I think we'll know a lot more after after they go back to an oval. Do, you know, do they miss the oval? Is it worth alternating? Is it they'll do surveys and they'll get a sense for what the fan base wants to see here in Indianapolis. And I think that'll be good. The crowd, if if I think the estimates were over 60,000. It was up. Um, that is a really good crowd and pretty packed in just about any other venue. So, you know, it's unfair to just judge empty seats, but it was pretty full when I looked down the front stretch towards oval turn four, so turn one in this situation. Um, you're not, you know, I'm going to guess if we went through NASCAR season, that's top 10 in crowds. So, yeah, you're right. I think you do judge how is it gauged next year? How is the racing? They don't have a lot to do with it, and it, it could come back. I think they could do every other year just to kind of mix things up. Like Roger Penske has talked about what I was starting at is I would love there'd be a way to, I think this would benefit NASCAR differentiate the Xfinity race from the cup race. And then you could still include IndyCar on Saturday. The problem is that makes cup a one day show. It, it obviously can be done from one day to the next because they did it on Monday morning. The track was ready for the oval on Monday morning after finishing up at five 30 or six, on Sunday. So it's a lot of effort, but they did that for just three cars. They could do it for the weekend. I don't think next year is logical because it'll be the first year back. So cup is going to need to have proper practice on maybe Friday, but certainly on Saturday, but maybe in year number two, you could consider that once they feel like they have a handle and NASCAR showed us that they could just show up and race as they did during the pandemic, and the racing was still fine. It's not fair to the young guys, but it still created the same sort of show. And in some ways, as I was out there all day Sunday waiting for something to happen, now we made plenty of use of the time because there's a lot to see, but it wouldn't be terrible to see race cars on track from 9 to 10 in the morning yeah. uh, on race morning and then give them another four hours in, in case there was a problem to do something else. So I could see that in the future, but I don't expect that next year. Keep in mind that IndyCar 
might have other options to go use that date for something else. Uh, we're assuming we want IndyCars to be back, you and me. Uh, we'd like to have them. We enjoy every opportunity to see IndyCars, especially in our hometown. But if they are going to stick to a certain number of races and there are some other possibilities out there, that date may be valuable somewhere else. So Milwaukee is set. Go ahead and announce it. <laughs> so, no, I would just like IndyCar to have that option. I yes. would like them to have that option because next year they are not going to have the option to be able to run unless they wanted to run on Thursday and allow them to turn the, the track over. Um, yeah, just to the next point, what are they going to do with the date? Now, here's what I don't know where this will fit. And I'm trying to recall from a few years ago, does it work better for Milwaukee? And I don't know 100% that Milwaukee is done, but they're working on it. If that happens, does it work better for Milwaukee to be during the fair in August? Or do they need that parking and do they need to use the track for infrastructure and parking and other events? You know, like we use our track for concerts and things like that. Is that available there? Is that a plus for the Milwaukee State uh, the Milwaukee Fair Board, or is that a minus? If it's a plus, then I think you can put that in there, assuming that you can find a TV window around the Olympics in early August for some kind of similar date there. If that's not an option, then that becomes more challenging because June and July, I think, are going to be pretty crowded because the June that always had an open date or two now might get filled from what we're hearing by Laguna Seca. So where does everything else fill up in that regard? I don't know the answer to that, but I get the impression, and I think it's mostly derived from when we started talking about Milwaukee last year, that the fair date is not in play. I don't okay. know that. I don't know that. And I don't know if that's tied to the issues you laid out, parking and you know, space and all those kind of things. I remember it was said one way or the other when we were talking about this five or six or 10 years ago, but I can't remember which way they said was the case. I, I, I would suspect it's not during the fair. If, if I had to, if I had to wager how, okay. how it goes in 24, I would say it's not with the fair. Um, other schedule things. I don't know that I know anything else or anything is still, you know, the, the one thing I don't know, I don't know when Texas would be. Um, I don't know 100% that Texas is there. I think it is, and I've been told it's on the schedule. But if they... What makes me wonder was when Marshall Pruitt wrote something about Gateway potentially being a doubleheader, and Bud Denker, in a quote, did not dismiss that. I don't know what the motivation would be for making that a doubleheader, which is tough on the teams, doing oval doubleheaders. And I don't think Iowa is going to change to a single header. I think they like that path. So one motivation would be, wow, we're short on ovals. We need to add another oval. Well, you already might. Maybe that's if Milwaukee doesn't come together. Maybe that's what the backup plan is. Because I think Texas is good, but something is going to need to change with Texas. It is not going to draw a crowd at 1130 on Sunday morning. It's just not. So... Unless something else is figured out with that, you know, combining with NASCAR, moving it to a different time, 
then I don't see how it survives long term. And it's always possible that the parties say, you know what, it's not going to work long term. Let's just go our separate ways. All of that said, again, everything I've heard says it's on the schedule next year. So we shall maybe find out at Laguna Seca weekend. That's sometimes when we find out uh, if all things are buttoned up when they announce the schedule. Well, let's don't blame, from my opinion, let's don't blame Texas Motor Speedway for not drawing at 1130 on a Sunday morning, because I don't think there are many places that would draw well, except for the Indy 500 and except Road America and maybe Mid-Ohio, where you have campers who who have stayed all weekend. Not a lot of places where 1130 local is a good window for, for, uh, for the local fan base. Nashville was 1130 this year, and... There were some empty seats. Part of that, it's because it's really hot uh, and people are just kind of walking around. But that's that's it's tough. tough. Too. It's tough. So in Texas, they're at church in Nashville. So I found this is they're something coming home. <laughs> I found this is something the young people do now. They get IVs in the morning. They literally get IVs. Yes. So that's where they're at the IV shop (laughs) after a a long night out at Tootsie's. I'll throw in this tweet uh, because I mentioned Laguna Seca. Our correspondent in Monterey, Paul Ingram, tweeted me a few days ago when we were talking about, you know, wondering about March. I think that was when IndyCar would love to do it. Some concerns about the weather. I should have mentioned this as well. We think about first, where's NASCAR? Does it work with the TV window? What's happening at the track? You also have to consider what is in the market. And Pebble Beach is somewhere around there. I don't know if that's a positive to have it nearby or not. Uh, Paul thinks not. Uh, He says Saturday begins... Saturday begins Pebble Beach Concourse Laguna Motorsports Reunion Car Week. Oh, that's coming up this weekend. Oh, I think he's just uh, telling me what's going on now. I I thought he was trying to tell me that around Pebble Beach in the spring might be an issue. Now, the big golf tournament, though, is in the summer, right? I, yeah, I think Round, so. Roundabout way is I don't know what else is going on in Monterey in March. And it might not just be that it's a little bit muddy. It might be, yeah, as a tourism uh, company and the county is paying for this, we already have a lot of people here, so we'd rather have people come in another time. So, you know, all of that is uh, part of the consideration in that regard. All right, let's get to the IndyCar race. We're going to do that coming up in just a moment. What uh, we saw from this past weekend uh, and more. Trackside, 93.5, The Fan. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, Ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Hi, this is Pato Award, and you're listening to Trackside. We're into segment five of six, and it's my fault, but we haven't talked about the race this past weekend. But as I said <laughs> at the start of the show, 
I think most of you saw the race. I'm hoping that we come up with nuances that you've missed. And between the two of us, we'll have some different conversation. Um, The race was won. In some ways, the best thing that happened to Scott Dixon might have been that he was forced to stop early. Now, I believe they've said they were going to go ahead and pit really early as well. But he topped off on lap five before it went back to green. And it helped that the caution was maybe a lap longer than expected. I haven't gone back to look at the replay as to what was going on. There there were several cars that needed some help and you're checking the order. There's always different things involved, but he and others topped off. And I mentioned when they came in, I also said they may be able to get home. If there's a little bit of yellow, I should have counted on Scott Dixon. Ramon Grosjean, whose car I was calling, I was accurate on. And this is when we really saw it was happening, that it was going to work. When Grosjean, on the same strategy, pitted on lap 52 or something like that, and that was way too far to make it home. 85 lap race, 33 to go. They can go about 25 is the number, so fuel saving 26, maybe super save 27. He wasn't going to make it. And I had just heard on the radio something like six more, Scott. So I guess it always could have been code, but it didn't surprise me. And it turned out that was right. And I said at the time, Dixon isn't coming in for another six or seven laps. He's in play. And that's when we kind of figured out it should have known all along. They were going to be in play. It just seems appropriate seem- that he extended a record and did what he did the way he always does it. He always does it this way. And it seems like, and I was trying to f- remember instances where this happened. Portland comes up, but he didn't win that race. But he did not win that race. That's right. <laughs> I mean, yeah. in my mind. It saved his championship. We all kind of thought, yeah, he won that race. No, he just didn't finish last. And he that finished, was the win. Yeah, he finished Fifth. 15th. Yeah. But, uh, Fifth, yeah. Yeah, but, um, you know, you think about Portland and coming back from from that one when he's, you know, basically collected in, in the Marco Andretti incident in the dust in 2018. Uh, But there have been other races like that where it just seems like his race is, is over. And it happens a lot with Chip Ganassi racing. You think about Portland in the the year Polo was that last two years ago when, when uh, Polo and, and uh, Dixon were starting on the front row and, and ended up in the runoff area at turn one and, and lost their positions and, Yada, yada, yada. Next thing you know, they finished one, two or one, three, whatever it was. They're both on the podium. So this, this happens a lot with Scott. And so that was appropriate in that respect. And, you know, tomorrow on, on IndyCar.com, we're going to debate what the greatest, maybe I'll throw this at you. What, what is the greatest of Scott Dixon's statistics? And I argued that, that 19 straight years with at least one race win is, unbelievable especially when you consider how few drivers in the sports history have won 19 races let alone any in consecutive years and there's a lot of drivers in this series that we've watched who never won 19 races ryan hunter ray alex uh alexander um obviously rossi but zanardi alex zanardi juan montoya never won that many race dan weldon never won that race canon as you mentioned but I think Joey Barnes hit it on the head 
Scott has had like 50% of his races, and I think it's like 52% of his races have finished in the top three. He has been on the podium for every other race for what, you know, the longest streak of races in, in, in IndyCar wow. history. So it's just a staggering statistic and how many second place finishes he has plus the 54 wins. I mean, it's it's a really impressive stat, and I think that's the one on on reflection that I would go with. You're right. So I was looking up some things with Scott today, so I had racing reference handy. He has 131 IndyCar podiums plus, this doesn't include cart, three more in cart and champ car. 134 out of, what is it, 383? That's so that's not that's not half, but it's about a third. Well, no, I, I don't. Okay. Well, it, maybe it was top five finishes. It was half, but the uh, point top is five might be right. Cause I was going to say, if it's surely he's not on the podium half the time, but just a third of the time is amazing. It's a big number. This does, this does not break down top fives. This just, they break wins, podiums, but you may be right in that regard. Something else I looked up was I wondered how many times. That's what I was researching. How many times has he done this? You know, because we remember the mid-Ohio race and so forth. Not as many as you would think from way back. Now, what I didn't really look at were the 7th, 8th, and ninths, which is still very impressive on a road course. So maybe I should do that next. But his last two wins have come from 14th and 15th. The Nashville race last year was from 14th. But this is only the third road course when he has from 14th or worse, the other being that mid Ohio, which I think was last. I think there were 22 cars that year in 2014. So those are the road course ones in double digit starting positions. He has several on ovals and I'm going to need to find this one on YouTube to see it again. His very first race, his first win at Nazareth, he started 22nd. I will admit, I do not remember the circumstances of that. So I'll need to, that'll be an off-season project that I'll watch that one again on YouTube this year. And he has another win from way back, 17th at Pocono in 2013. Well, and, factoids. you know, we we all remember Toyota's struggles in 2004 with Chip yep. Ganassi Racing in particular. And, and they went to Milwaukee and... Dixie goes out and crashes in practice, and then they got to repair the car, and he goes out in qualifying the next day, crashes on like the first lap, the first hot lap after crashing the day before. And and I don't remember, I'd have to ask some people about whether they just decided to pull him or he pulled himself or medical said, you know, he's had two, two big hits in turn four here in the last few minutes. I don't, maybe you remember the circumstances. Well, I asked Scott about that last week. Okay. My recollection was chip said, you guys are going home. Yes. That's how I remember it being described at the time. So I went up and, and looked at some uh, articles Maybe yours. I don't remember if it was yours or not. I, I don't think I found yours. I was there. I was there. But but I don't think I, that didn't come up in a Google search. And the quotes were he he was, I think, taken to the hospital and checked out. But the quote from Scott was, I'm sure I'll be fine to race. And then it was kind of left at that. And, and so Scott told me in Nashville, 
I don't know that I could have raced. I was really banged up. I had, I think, ankle injuries and a wrist injury. And he said, I don't think I could have raced. But at that point, it was kind of both. So it was, you guys have crashed enough cars and he's injured too. Yep. So the point is, from that day until right now, dude hasn't missed a race since then and has been finishing the top three or the top five whatever it is like every other race i mean and he's won fifth you know 54 times and most of those have come since that fateful day in milwaukee it's uh it's been a remarkable run and it just keeps getting better and it would be 21 seasons if they weren't so underpowered in 2004 somehow he won a race at watkins Glen at the end of the toyota era in 2005 but that was the only one he won in those two years. He finished 10th and 13th, or maybe it was 13th and 10th in points those two years. And that was one of the stories. Maybe I'll share this on an upcoming broadcast, but he he said, he told me again last week that, yeah, I think I was just fortunate that I was under a longer term contract after winning the championship in 2003, the others, and he couldn't even name all of his teammates. He had four or five different teammates there they were not on long-term contracts and they all got fired and that led to dan weldon joining him in 2006 darren manning was in that group and and uh and others you're right he he probably did have two or three teammates so yeah because some didn't make it through seasons um there were there were a few short-term replacements maybe giorgio pontano was in there briefly ryan briscoe and you know he got hurt and then didn't get renewed from from that circumstance so well done for Scott Dixon. Uh, you know, I kind of felt like at least Dixon or Power are going to win a race. They're too good. So now that's the next one coming forward is does Power win a race? Because that is equally impressive. He is looking, or almost as equally impressive. He is looking to win in a 17th consecutive season. And that's what's on the line for him in these final three races. Uh, and after, back to the race. And after, and after that, the longest streak of of consecutive seasons with at least one win belongs to Joseph Newgarden with eight. Oh, okay. I thought so whose record did Dixon break? Was it like 14, 13? I the graphic probably Elio. Probably Elio. No, Elio was down there. Elio had like eleven. He was on the list. And Bobby Unzer was on the list. I don't think anybody else has more than eleven. I think eleven is the record. Was it really? Yeah, I think eleven was is is essentially third so someone yeah. will will we may not get that until next week we'll, we'll see if we can get to that by the next segment um graham ray hall we need to spend some time on graham and you feel for him because in a straight up normal race he should have won the race he did all he needed to do he beat everyone on the same strategy as him and it just took dixon spending less time doing pit stops when everyone was going at full speed. That was the difference. He did his pit stop and yep. the cars were bunched up and Graham did his under green. Yep. Yep. He, he effectively won the race. He just couldn't beat Scott Dixon and their strategy and Mike Hall. I mean that, that uh, the ability to save fuel, the ability to get lucky with a caution, even if you were going to come early, the caution played out the way they, way it did, you know, you feel for Graham. I thought he handled it the right way after the race, basically saying, Hey, we won the race. 
we just didn't win the race. You know, I mean, something to that effect. And he was basically acknowledging that it was a perfect day on their part, on his part and the team's part. And it just didn't fall their way. And, but it showed he's back. If he was ever gone, if he's, he's back. It, it still is a good story. And it shows the resurgence from Ray Hall, Letterman Lanigan, that they get a second and fourth out of this. And Jack Harvey and what's his last race for now, he had a, engine grid penalty so he starts 14th and finishes 14th so that's uh you know unfortunately about as well as they've done this season uh other things from the well the start of the race how about devlin d francesco it's great sending it and also credit to graham ray hall because a lot of people would have just said nope you want to go around the outside you're going on the grass graham gave him room and allowed him to survive yeah i just don't the other thing that was struck me about DeFrancesco's move was how late on the front straightaway that was. I mean, he's almost to the 300 marker before he pulled out and went around the outside of three guys. Like still fifth. Yeah. Yeah. He went from fifth to second, literally in about the last hundred meters of the, of the racetrack uh, before it folds down into turn one. And then to your point, Graham Rahal gave him space and Devlin took it. And not only took the space that was allotted, took the corner, the next corner to get the to get the lead. Graham was great. He said, "Look, I, I just figured I'd get him. I'll get him back here in a minute." And he did. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, certainly the highlight of of Devlin's career to date, and showed that you know when he's got good equipment, he can make great moves. Um, now he didn't for for a variety of reasons didn't didn't stay there. Uh, drifted back after that. And, um, he was on, was he on the alternates? He was on the, uh, the, the other tire compound from what the people who were passing him, <laughs> they, well, I believe he started on primaries. He was on primaries. I, they my, were, on my alternates. recollection was the top three were on alternates. The next three were on primaries. And then he held the lead on the restart for a, a lap or two, and then just kept dropping. And then obviously dropping more. And I saw his quote afterwards was, you know, we got to figure out tire deck. So it's one thing to have a fast car for a couple of laps, just like, you know, we've seen a lot of people have on short ovals. They can qualify up front, but they drop like a rock after lap 15. Kind of the same situation there, but I would still say massive experience gained. And it's, you know, when you're a free agent right now and trying to figure out where you're going to be, uh, you made the highlights and that was better than just running 13th. So they got something out of that now. And now he's learned something. Okay, I've got a fast car. Now, how do I manage the tires over the length of a stint and and be able to make them work? So uh, then Joseph Newgarden, unfortunately, you know, the championship ended pretty much in turn seven because he was the one that was the closest and he's trailing behind, has nowhere to go, caught up. He's already a lap down. Then there's a drive-through penalty because they took fuel in a closed pit. So now the closest is Scott Dixon. What is he, 101 back? And if Pelot finishes, not one position, depends on how far back it is. But essentially, I think it's if he is 109 points up. So he only needs to gain eight points on Scott Dixon and four on Joseph Newgarden. It's officially over. He doesn't even have to go to the final two races. Alex Zanardi is the one who had that. Uh, with like three races to go or something along those lines. But so I think it could be wrapped up at Gateway. Cristiano Damata had a similar in like oh yep. three, oh four, maybe 
right in there. because Bourdais won 04 to 07. That's right. 03. Yeah. So that's the storyline that we'll talk more about next week on the program. And up next, we'll see what we missed. Trackside 93.5, The Fan. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Hi, this is Scott Dixon, and you're listening to Trackside on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Final segment. Let's sneak in a couple of tweets, I guess they're called, on X. Mike Stoops, we know how Chip feels. What do you know about how the rest of the paddock feels about Zach Brown? Would also like to hear your opinions on how he and Alex Pillow handle their business affairs. Is how they operate bad for them in the long run? Should they continue in that this manner. Uh, so my opinion would be most of the, the team owners are not fans of Zach Brown because they've had to spend more uh, and they're losing some of their talent, not just drivers, but mechanics, engineers, things like that. Uh, so I think the drivers in some ways are fans because he has raised the salary level and the mechanics and the team managers probably fans as well. For Alex Pillow, you could argue that uh, this could have an impact, but you know what? He's so good right now. When you're really talented, everybody still wants you. You get to behave just a little bit differently. The Cincy Buckeye asks, I want to know why Alex Pillow did not get an avoidable contact penalty for the lap one crash. Took out other cats and penalties have been given out for less this year. Not a fan of avoidable contact penalties, period, but be semi-consistent on enforcement. Enjoy your show. Thank you. Um, I don't see that as one that could be penalized. I, I, I think that probably was his fault. Um but it needs to be really obvious. And you're right. There have been a couple that I was surprised about, or at least one I was surprised about this year, the Jack Harvey one from Toronto. So I would not be a fan of that being called and maybe a couple of others as well. We're out of time. Big story today. Uh, Connor Daly will be in at Gateway. Worldwide Technology Raceway. Unfortunately, Jack Harvey is out. I think there's another driver announced. I think there's going to be something announced this week. Don't know 100%, but I hear it's coming this week, so we'll talk about it next week, 7 to 9, here on Trackside.